Peace be with you. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights Church. We are in the season of Lent. It's a 40-day period of fasting and repentance leading up to Easter Sunday. And now the, the idea of Lent may sound grim, and it, it does have that reputation to a degree, but for Christians, self-accusation is the road to restoration. Because of Jesus, we can mourn the deepest darkness in ourselves and in the world around us, knowing that the light of God has come and is coming. And the timing is pretty good because we're continuing our sermon series through First and Second Samuel, which tell the story of King David, and things are about to get pretty dark for King David. Um, but we're going to be looking to David and keeping with the season of Lent as a model of genuine repentance. But that's next week. This week is anything but dark. Now, strictly speaking, First and Second Samuel tell the story of the rise and fall of two kings, King Saul and King David. King Saul was David's predecessor, but he was not David's father. Saul's actual heir was named Jonathan. He was a man of great humility and faithfulness. Whereas Saul hated David, Jonathan loved David. Whereas Saul tried to kill David, Jonathan honored David as the true king. And so before we get into our passage today, we need to jump back and get some context, get some background information on this passage. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel. David and Jonathan have made a covenant with one another, and we get the gist of that covenant in chapter 20, verse 42. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. So Jonathan knew that David was going to be king. And even though he was heir to the throne, he, he humbly steps aside to make way for David. And in doing this, Jonathan reveals himself to be a John the, John the Baptist type figure, a Jonathan the Baptist type figure. Um, he paves the way for the coming king, and he's willing to decrease and even die so that the true king um, may have his day. But here's the key thing to see. Jonathan and David make a covenant with one another. What is a covenant? In the Bible, a covenant is a relationship bound by oath. A relationship bound by oath. And God is always somehow involved. If God is not a party to the covenant, he's a witness to the covenant. And so covenant making is a very serious thing. So at Jonathan's request, David promises perpetual love and loyalty to Jonathan's offspring forever. And so that brings us to 2 Samuel 9. That's our passage today. And what's the larger context? What, what, it, what about the story has brought us to this point? Both Saul and Jonathan are now dead. David has been anointed king of Israel. The ark of God has come to Jerusalem. David has defeated all his enemies. At long last, there is peace in the land of Israel. The Lord has made a covenant with David, and now David is sitting down to rest, to feast, and to enjoy the peace. There's an expression to to put to rights or to set to rights. It just means everything has been restored and returned to its proper place, its original condition. 
And thematically, what we're seeing here is King David back in the Garden of Eden. And next week, he's going to be tested, right? We all know how that goes. So we're going to read from 2 Samuel 9, beginning in verse 1, 1 through 4. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodeber. So here we see King David kicking back, enjoying his new kingdom, but he remembers his covenant with Jonathan. So he sends out a servant to find Jonathan's offspring. What follows is one of the most moving and beautiful stories in the Old Testament. Let's read from verse 6. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. Stop right there. Mephibosheth, by the way, I'm going to be saying that name a lot today. It's a mouthful, and I'd I'd be lying if I said I didn't practice a little bit this week. Uh, Mephibosheth was the last remaining member of Saul's household. The name Mephibosheth is rooted in the Hebrew word for shame. And Lodeber, uh, where he was living, is a word meaning nothing. So Mephibosheth was crippled, covered in shame, and living in no man's land. He was a nobody from nowhere. And one day he gets an invite to visit the king. Let's think about this from the perspective of Mephibosheth. His grandfather was Saul, the king of Israel. Saul was the only type of king Mephibosheth knew. Saul was angry and jealous. He cursed David. He tried to kill David. But now Saul has died and David has taken his place. And so arguably, Mephibosheth has a claim to the throne. Mephibosheth is David's potential rival. And so it makes sense that David would say to him, do not fear. Mephibosheth was probably very afraid. He probably thought he was going to the king's house to be executed. A king like Saul would have eliminated every threat to the throne. But David is no Saul. David was a a kind, humble, and gracious king. Let's keep reading, verse 7. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. So instead of treating Mephibosheth like an enemy, David restores his inheritance and invites him to feast at his table as a member of the royal household forever. Verse 11 says David treats Mephibosheth like a son. Mephibosheth is an adopted son of the king of Israel. 
Not only that, but verse 12 tells us that Mephibosheth himself had a son. So David welcomes Jonathan's son and Jonathan's grandson to feast at his table. What's going on here? Well, I, I think David is keeping his covenant the same way God keeps his covenants. This is the biblical pattern for how God relates to those with whom he covenants, how he relates to us. The Bible repeatedly says that God keeps his covenant promises to a thousand generations. And that's what David's doing for Jonathan. Think back to last week, 2 Samuel 7. God made a covenant with David. He made promises to David that he intended to keep forever. And so it's not a coincidence that David responds by keeping a few promises of his own. David is learning from the Lord's example. As the Lord's representative, after a man, as a man after God's own heart, as a man attempting to be holy as the Lord is holy, David keeps covenant. Now, I think we should learn from God's covenant-keeping example, too. When you were baptized, you were initiated into a covenant relationship with God. Keeping that covenant is costly. It looks like loving Him, trusting Him, serving Him, obeying Him unequivocally. Every member of this church has entered into a covenant with every other member of this church. Keeping that covenant is costly. It requires patience and forgiveness and self-sacrifice, right? Married couples have entered into a covenant with one another. Keeping that covenant is costly. It requires a lifetime of love and self-sacrifice. Until death do us part. That means loving and sacrificing on the days and weeks and months and years when you just don't feel like it. And I, I, don't, I don't know about you. I kind of do. I don't know about you, but I, I fail at all three of these things on a daily basis. I need grace from God. I need grace from you. I need grace from my wife. Earlier, I, I said that for Christians, self-accusation is the road to restoration. What I mean by that is that true Christians have the humility to identify with Mephibosheth. True Christians have the humility to identify with Mephibosheth. And I'm not talking about low self-esteem. I'm talking about recognizing our sin and throwing ourselves upon the mercy of the king. Look at verse 8. And Mephibosheth paid homage to David and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Now, admittedly, dead dog is some strong language, um, but this is self-accusation. Mephibosheth is humbling himself and throwing himself upon the mercy of the king. He is on the road to restoration. Two chapters ago, David received a wonderful, undeserved, prodigious, everlasting, gracious gift from the God of Israel. 
And now David is responding. David is making a point to share that blessing with others, and in particular, a man who cannot take care of himself. Why are Christians called to be generous? Because in Christ we have received a wonderful, undeserved, prodigious, everlasting, gracious gift from the God of Israel. Sharing is second nature to us. It should be. After all, the, the, the same Holy Spirit that filled and empowered David fills and empowers us. We simply are not permitted to come into this place week after week and receive the Lord's blessing and feast at the Lord's table and then leave and share with nobody. That's not right. Rather, we should be open-handed with the things we've been given. We should be open-mouthed with the grace we've been given. By the way, look back at verse 3. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? The kindness of God. David's actions were not simply in response to God's kindness. David's actions were an extension of God's kindness. Thus, we don't, we don't share with others simply because in Christ God has made us rich. We share with others because we are God's representatives on this earth, as David was God's representative on this earth. As his representatives, the Lord works through us to bless others. We have that privilege. It's a privilege. We have the authority to bless others in Jesus' name. That's a privilege. Let's read from verse 11. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Just in case you forgot, he was lame in both his feet. This reminder puts an exclamation point on this story. David was never more Christ-like than here in 2 Samuel 9. This is grace. Israel had a gracious king. And that is the most glorious feature of the Christian religion. The most glorious feature of our faith is that we have a gracious king. We are Mephibosheth. We were helpless. We were estranged. We were enemies of the king. We were crippled members of the household of Adam, a fallen household. When Adam sinned in the garden, he lost his kingdom, and we were his sons and daughters. We were. but now we have been invited into the household of Jesus, the crucified king who obeyed God and reclaimed that fallen kingdom. We are right to fear his wrath, and yet we are met with total grace. 
We are right to fear his wrath, and we are met with total grace. Instead of wrath, we are shown covenant kindness to a thousand generations. We are Mephibosheth. King Jesus has adopted us into his family. King Jesus has given us a new name and a place within his household. King Jesus has restored our lost inheritance and then some. King Jesus feeds us at his table forever. We are Mephibosheth. Ephesians 2. God, being rich in mercy, throw throw yourself upon his mercy. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were lame and living in Lodeber, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness, there's that word again, toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Nobody? Anybody? We whoop for the Aggies. (laughs) Nothing. I'm going to read it again. (laughs) Not kidding. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. All right. Nice. Just for a moment, set aside the blessings we enjoy from the hand of God. Set them aside. Don't think about what you're getting out of this deal. Just take a moment to think about the character and humility of Jesus Christ. Who can help but honor a king like this? Who can help but give their allegiance to a king like this? This is King Jesus, y'all. In Luke 14, Jesus gives instructions on how to throw a party. He says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. King Jesus is giving a feast. King Jesus is setting out a banquet for you. He's calling you right now, whether you're a Christian or not. He says your name. He says do not fear. So don't make excuses. Just humble yourself. Admit your poverty. Confess your inability to repay him for this blessing and then feast forever 
at his table. The most important thing we can do in response to this passage, I think, is to come and feast at the Lord's table. That's our, our best, most practical, most immediate application. But before we partake of the Lord's Supper, I want to leave you with one question. And you can hold on to this. You can ask it of yourself as you drive home today. All right? Who do I know from the fallen household of Adam to whom I can extend the kindness of God? Who do I know from the fallen household of Adam to whom I can extend the kindness of God? Who is your Mephibosheth? Let's pray. King Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for, thank you for setting the world to rights, for, for, for starting that project. We, we look forward to the day when you finish it. Thank you for our inheritance in Christ. Thank you for your table, this table where, you, where you've promised to meet us and bless us and nourish us. You have exalted us beyond our wildest dreams, and so we exalt you, O King, now. In Jesus' name, amen.